So we're moving through the book of Acts this summer. And right now we're going to go through chapters 6 and 7, which is essentially one story. Pastor Jeff had chapters 3 through 5, which was like four stories. And so you kind of had to pick which ones to focus on. This is essentially one story. And it's about uh, a man named Stephen. And the, the title that I felt kind of uh, drawn to for this would be called Power and Character. And here's why I think this is important. I think that God is taking us through this time this summer studying the book of Acts, which is the beginning of the church as we know it in the New Testament. And you're seeing them working out things, some of the same things that we still work out today, but moving with the power of the Holy Spirit. Like a Christian life devoid of the power of the Holy Spirit is incomplete, okay? It needs to be said that way, that if you're trying to live a Christian life devoid of the the Holy Spirit, it's just not going to work. You can try really, really hard and be a really, really good person, but it just, it's not possible that you have to have the indwelling of the Spirit of God in you. But you also have to develop character or Christ-likeness, and this doesn't happen instantaneously. It's not like you just wake up one day and you're like, man, I'm really Jesus-like today, because it just doesn't work that way. It takes time with Jesus' disciplines it's like being in shape, okay? But you have to have both of these. You can have some really disciplined people who are really mean, not really helpful. You can have some really powerful people that are blowing everything up, also not really helpful. You need people that are doing both. And I think that to, today's story of Stephen is exactly that. It's a picture of a person who has both the power of the Holy Spirit and a Christ-like character. And so let's just go through it quickly here. Um, Oh, there's other, one other thing that I think this, this, what I just said about the power and the character is necessary. And it's necessary for everyone, okay? I think for far too long, the church in the West, the church in America, the church in all, I don't know, maybe a, far too long, uh, has highlighted a few people who are talented or gifted or something like that. And they like do everything and everybody else watches or something like that. That's not at all how the church is supposed to function. This is supposed to be all of us moving with the power of the Holy Spirit and the character of Jesus doing the works of this. And so when you have the story of the Acts of the Apostles, and we're focusing most of these stories are following the Apostles, here's one guy who's not one of the Apostles. You see what I'm saying? He's kind of a normal guy, if you follow what I mean by that. And what I want you to hear in this is the fact that God is calling you this way too. Not like that's for the special people. That's, not, that's just wrong. And there's two things wrong with it. One, um, it makes these categories of like as if there's such a thing as like, real, like normal Christians and special Christians. or something. I don't even know what category titles you would put on that. And it also gives you, if you're thinking in that way, it gives you a pass. Well, I'm just one of the normal ones, so it's cool for me to not. Like, that doesn't work that way. It's, you're not allowed to do that, okay? So you're lying. To, if you think you can do that, you're lying to yourself. So just be clear about that. So all the parts of the body are needed, as we discussed. doesn't mean we're all doing the same thing. And it doesn't mean there's disorder. Sometimes people hear that and go, okay, well, then I should be doing blah, blah, blah. That doesn't necessarily mean whatever. You know, it, what it means is we need all to be living this way and doing our part. And whatever our part is, is the part that God has got, called us to. So in Acts 6... We see this story that we've had amazing things start happening. The Holy Spirit has fallen. God is now, um, these people are speaking in other languages. 
And in spiritual languages, interesting, they're now healing people, delivering people. Amazing, miraculous things are happening. People are watching like this guy was not able to walk. He's able to walk now. That gets people's attention. Pastor Jeff was talking about that, you see. So that's going on. Also, people are getting arrested for it, which seems like a strange reaction. But when you start healing people, the people who are supposed to be in spiritual authority get threatened by that. They don't like it. And so that happens. They're going, so there's this weird, there's both amazingly powerful things and good things happening and amazingly bad things happening. We also see like people just out of the, like this was in the podcast if you listen to it, people just deciding to sell properties and give the money all away. Like, I had this property, I sold it, I'm just going to give all of it to help the people who need it. And they would just distribute it to people who needed it. And then a guy and his wife show up and they're like, yeah, we sold a property, here's all the money we got for it. But they lied and then they die, which is super intense, you know. So what I'm trying to say is there's this mixture of Amazing good things, Gen- like love and generosity and all this, like almost hippie-like stuff. And like, and we're going to jail, and other people are dying for lying to God. It's like, whoa, you know, both of these things are happening at once. And in the middle of that, we find this story. So Acts chapter 1. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, so tons of people are coming into the church, there were rumblings of discontent. So this doesn't sound like happy hippie stuff, okay, guys? The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 called a meeting of, of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. So the brothers selected seven men who were all well-respected and full of the spirit, of, spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility, and then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. So they got a situation. They're handing out food to people who need it, the widows and everything. They're taking care of them. And there's getting preferential treatment to the Hebrew-speaking widows. And then the Hellenistic or Greek-speaking ones are going, yo, this isn't fair. And they're complaining about it. And so um, what you have is, an, like, oftentimes we imagine, this is another thing, like there's not two categories of Christian people, there's not, like, a perfect church, Okay. The church is kind of God's outpost of the kingdom of God now to be fulfilled at his second coming and perfection and all this kind of stuff. But right now, it's not going to be perfect. So if you're thinking in your mind, you know, a perfect church would look like and feel like and be like, most of that is just made up. You know, that doesn't mean that everything bad happening in any church is okay. It isn't. But the point is, if there's other people there, (laughs) there's going to be issues, okay? So if you're imagining this idea that there could be a group of Christian people where there's no issues, you're just making it up, okay? I don't know how to tell it to you any other way than that. And I have examples. This is right out of there. Like, they're literally healing people. They've been around Jesus multiplying food. And in all of that environment, we're complaining here. And it's, like, legit because the apostles go, yeah, we need to deal with this. And so here's what they do. They pick people. It lists them all off. Stephen's one of them. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed over them, laid hands on them. So God's message continued to spread, and the number of believers increased in Jerusalem, and the Jewish priests were converted too. So what they have now is a minority of, like, so most of these people are Hebrew-speaking Jews. But then now there's uh, Hellenistic Jews that are coming into the church. And maybe even some, this might be, there's a couple examples in some of these names that might be the first non-Jewish believers. They're not quite sure. But here's the thing. 
there's a, there's a minority group in this group that's affected about something. Com- they complain about it, and the apostles say, this is legit. We should deal with it. And the way they deal with it, and you can tell from the names here, is they say, we need to find some people that are trustworthy, that we can all agree are trustworthy. They have good character, like I was talking about. And this list of names is listed off, and you can see it up there. These are all Hellenistic names. So they take the minority of group that's being discriminated against, they put those people in charge of this whole thing. And everybody's like, this is a good plan. So that's an important detail. Well, Stephen is one of these people. And I think that this is kind of an honor because you have to have character to be chosen. It's also kind of maybe a lame job in that I I hear just a little bit of, I don't want to read into the text because I do understand this is an important thing that's happening. But it's hard for me to read we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. As not being sort of like, we got better things to do, you know what I'm saying? They obviously think it's important, and it's obviously an awesome. So I think it's kind of an honor, but it's kind of a lame job at the same time. And there's something about that that maybe that Stephen is, is uh, um, encountering. But he's the kind of guy we're talking about, because it says in these texts that Stephen is gifted in wisdom and speech, and he's performing miracles. So now you've got the guy who's helping hand out food to people like we do at Builders of the Faith. He's also like healing people and stuff. And then it gets more interesting because verse 8 says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people, just like the apostles. Okay? But he's also got this spirit of wisdom. So he's just debating with people. And you see this going on in chapter, verse 9. But one day, men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom of the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So, the guy in charge of the food program is now the debate team leader. He's smarter than everyone because God has now put that inside of him. This is the whole thing that I'm talking about. Like in the body right now, he has a job. He's supposed to take care of this food program. But God is using him so much broader than that. Okay? Probably local officials and local religious leaders and the people that are threatened by these kind of things don't care about you feeding widows and stuff. It takes a problem out of their hands. You see what I'm saying? So it's not even a threat to them. But what we tend to do is box ourselves in. You know, when I say parts of the body... You can start doing, uh, well, I guess on this foot or whatever, and da 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 da. But, you know, you don't have any idea what God is wanting to do with that while you're still functioning as a foot. You see what I'm saying? We've got to get out of this boxed in mindset. So he's debating people while he's in charge of, with these other guys, while he's in charge of this food program. He's debating people and he's winning. So they're threatened by that. So they go, gosh, we've got to deal with this guy. So they just make up a lie and they challenge him in front of the kind of religious court, because again, it's a little different back then. These, these priests had political power as well. And so um, they have some guys come in, and they persuade some people to make an accusation. We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God, and they roused the elders and teachers, and they put him before the high council, and the lying witnesses said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this, the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. So this is like totally like not true, okay? They're attacking him. They just want to get rid of this guy. 
then something really interesting happens. And this is what, this is the other, you know, thing you got to keep in mind when God's involved. Um, it's totally fine. God, we, like, you know, maybe the post-enlightenment mind of, my, you know, like, it's like, well, it's nice that God gives him wisdom to debate with people. You know, yeah, that's fine, you know. And that's really good. I like the sound of that. Well, now you have this injection of, at this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. That's a strange detail because it also harkens back to, like, Moses on, when he's coming down from the mountain of being with God. Like, his face glowed, like actual light, not like, oh, look, he's smiling, but <laughs> actual light coming from his face. Okay, in this world, like if you were there and you looked, you're like, that guy's face is glowing. I would have been, and you can, and uh, I, again, I don't want to jet too much into the text, but one of the stories that we had to kind of breeze over a little bit, which I hope you're reading, was, you know, about Peter and all these guys keep doing this stuff after they tell him to stop healing people. And one of the, the priests is an older guy who's Gamaliel. He's like, look, here's the deal, guys. For some reason, we can't seem to stop these people from doing this. And every time other people have shown up, and he lists off a few, that are trying to do this revolt thing or this Messiah thing, they, they get killed and their people get scattered. It's like we don't have to worry about it. Like, we've already killed the Jesus guy. So, like we've killed these other guys, eventually they'll give up if this is man-powered because they know it's not true. He doesn't say all these reasons, but it's just kind of obvious. You know, like, you're not going to go out and die for a lie. You know, you might lie to people to get power or money or influence or something, but you're not going to die for it, you know? At some point, you're going to go, okay, uh, I lied. He's not, he's not alive, you know what I mean? So he's saying they're going to give up at some point if it's just manpower. And he goes, and if, I'm not saying it is, but if it is God doing this, you're not going to be able to stop them. You see what I'm saying? So that's in the air already because they've already had this discussion. If I was then dealing with the same group of people and then the guy who's being accused walked in, I'm like, whoa, this guy's face is lit up. I'm like, I'm going to back off a little on this, but maybe that's just me. So don't miss this point. The guy's face is glowing. But then they go, okay, look, tell us what's up, man. Like, I don't, they're saying, you're saying the temple's getting torn down. You're, you're like anti-God and anti, what are, like, tell us what's going on. So he goes into this really long and really good um, summary of the Old Testament from about Abraham to Solomon. And he's leaves, you know, what he's doing is, because he's full of wisdom of God and everything, is he's trying to say, like, guys, I'm not not Jewish, okay? Like, and I believe all of these things, just like you do. But I'm con- going to lay this whole thing out and then connect it to Jesus. This is kind of stuff Jesus used to do a lot when he would teach. He'd be like, yeah, I'm there with you. Maybe I'm even more into it than you are, okay? Like, I believe this stuff. You see what I'm saying? I believe, and you should go back and read it. We're not going to through it all today because he goes through, I mean, he goes through everything. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, every, you know, the whole thing. And he gets all the way up to Solomon. And this is where the temple thing starts to come in. And this is where the Jesus thing starts to come in. And he, this is where it starts to break. Because the whole time they're going, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. And then all of a sudden, whoa. And he, it ends with this challenge. He says this. However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people, 
Your hearts and ears are, un- are still uncircumcised. Now that's super intense language for these guys. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed the one who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels but have not obeyed it. So he's ending with a super intense accusation that like, I've laid all this stuff out. I'm in the exact same place you are. Jesus is all these things and you've missed it. You need to wake up. You could say this is a call to repent, but it's a little more, it may not be, but he's at least laying it out pretty plain. It says they don't like what he's saying. They get mad. And then this is really interesting. In verses 55 and 56, it says this, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he tells them, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And so this is interesting because Stephen's being our first martyr here. He's killed for his faith in Jesus. And he sees Jesus standing beside God, not sitting beside God, standing. Almost to like honor him or welcome him or something like that. Which is incredibly powerful. Because here's the thing. There's examples in the Bible where times where God shows up or, or angels come or something like that. And people have differing abilities to see that. So we're talking about our world now. Not make-believe Bible world. That's our world, okay? I'm just reminding everyone that. So this is our world, the same world we're in now. There is a spiritual portion of that that we're not always able to see. And I would argue that in our culture, it makes it even harder because we go, yeah, but we don't really believe in that stuff. And then you enter into the Bible world where they they do. And so we have to kind of deal with that. You know, other cultures that still have an understanding of a spiritual world have a little better time with that, you know. Ours tends to be, if I can see it, I can kind of make up whatever I want, and that's just my truth or my belief, and that's the way it is. And that's fine if you want to live that way, but it doesn't make it real, okay? So in the Bible, we have an example. Like, there is a spiritual um, component to our world, okay? I don't like to call that supernatural per se because I don't believe it exists outside of creation. God made everything but himself, you see. So there are, there are angels, there are demons. There's this whole thing. And in the Bible, there's times when God makes that whatever, whatever prevents us from just seeing it straight up thin. And some people see through. Some people don't. Okay? You can think of many times, even just the simple Bible Christmas stories, where an angel appeared to Joseph. Okay? But then there's also times where, like, Daniel is along the river and... This like flaming man shows up to talk to him and other people don't see the flaming man. They just hear, him, you know, stuff like that. There's examples like that. Or when Paul encounters Jesus, which we haven't gotten to yet. So there's these times when this veil gets thin between the spirit and what we see normally. I don't want to talk as though I totally understand this. And I don't know if this is what's going on. I don't know if Jesus is allowing just Stephen to see this. Because... God knows what's about to happen, 
Or, in my mind, sometimes I can imagine this, where these guys are all, he's standing there like I'm standing before you guys, but you all are the council, and I'm making my case, da 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 and then I say this really mean, you know, thing at the end, <laughs> and then they all stand up like mad at me, you know, and then I'm like, look, <laughs> I see, you know, and I almost wonder if these guys would turn around, they'd be like, whoa, just like the glowing face thing, you see what I'm saying? Maybe if they would just look, they would have seen too, you know, either way, the point is he's laying out this whole thing, this whole story of the Bible, and look, I see Jesus summing up all of this. Look, you know, and I do see it, <laughs> but I see it. Maybe you could see it, you see? I do think there's somewhat of an invitation there. But he sees Jesus standing, and once he says that, that's like over. And these guys, they cover their ears and start shouting as loud as they can, just like a kid, like, I don't want to hear anything else you're saying. So it got like, it escalates quickly. And like, dude, glowing face, what, what are you talking about? And then he lays out this really long story about the Bible and Moses and the whole thing in God's presence. And then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, you know, Jesus, you know, you're missing it. Like, well, that kind of escalates. And then all of a sudden he's like, I see him now. And they're like, you die. It escalates. At the end it's like, you know. And so it escalates quickly. And they take him out and stone him to death. Meaning they throw rocks at him till he dies. So we got a guy who his part in the body is to feed hungry orphans and widow people. And he just happens to be filled with the spirit enough to debate well these people. They're scared of him. And he dies because of it. And his whole being arrested thing was based on a lie. It says that. They made up a lie about him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I talk about the power, most of what he's doing here that we're, is attributed to this power part of God, okay? God has given him this spirit to do these miracles. It says that. God filled him with wisdom and the ability to debate. It says that. God makes his face glow, I assume, because no one can do that. And then God allows him to see heaven. That's all that power part, okay? You can't try harder to do any of that. You don't understand what I'm saying here. However, there's the character of Jesus part that you see stick out at the end. Now, if I was arrested because I did something really good, and if I was being killed because of it, because you, and because you lied or whatever, or whoever lied, you know what I mean? This is his reaction. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Kayla, come on up here and start playing something. I like the mood music. What I'm trying to say is, when you have the power of the Holy Spirit in a group of people, like our church, and the character of Jesus, it will change the world. It doesn't always end up in fun and games, because, yo, you know, but it will change the world. 
This part God does in His mercy and in His grace. Like Him saving us in His mercy and His grace. He empowers us by His mercy and His grace. This character, though, this is a little harder to come by. Time with Jesus. You see in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul's listing off in great detail these spiritual gifts that are for the church. They're important. They're needed. Speaking in tongues is needed. Prophecy is needed. Healing is needed. These things are all needed. They're not like, eh, I'm not into that. You don't, it's, it doesn't really work that way. <laughs> we have a bad pedal. And so, um, but this character, when Paul's listing all this stuff off, and he's talking about, da, 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 and then you get to, but look, none of this matters. And in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, he's like, if you don't love people, you just annoy them. So all of this power, all of this power, you can have it all, but you're just going to annoy people if you don't love them. And this character that God will form in us to be like Jesus will come to where when people are even killing us for against because of lies. We could say, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Which you see. I mean, I can't, when I talk about Christ-likeness, Christ-likeness, when Jesus is being crucified, dying on the cross in agony, physical agony, and falsely accused, the whole, I mean, he's, he's the perfect man being killed for our sins. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they this is, exa- this is like a paraphrase of that exact same thing. And when he said this, he fell asleep. It's something God has to develop in us. Okay? I had an experience recently where I was praying, and I felt the Lord was like, there were some people wrong about something. It doesn't matter. The, de- it doesn't, the details don't matter at all. I was like, what is up with this guy? Why can't I? And he's like, you need to repent. I was like, repent of what? And if I may be frank, in my head, I heard effing losers. Or no, effing idiots was what it was. But it, it wasn't effing. It was, you know. And I was immediately convicted. I don't think God spoke that to me. Let's be clear. It was like he was reminding me of thoughts I've had, okay? They weren't muted. And I felt like, <sighs> I have felt, if I'm honest, which is good to be honest with God. To sum up most succinctly my feelings about these people would be that they're effing idiots. And I was like, <sighs> and immediately into my mind came, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And that was before all, this is not, this was not part of this, you know. And I felt like when you juxtapose <laughs> effing idiots with Father forgive them and they, they know not what they do. Mine lacked Christ-like character, if I, may, if I may be frank. And I felt the Lord saying, that's not how to be at all, you know. And I did repent. And I do, I do repent. I'm repenting now in front of all of you, you know. 
And it doesn't matter the details. The, uh, because the world is full of people that could fit into that category. But Christ-like character responds to them, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Not the other one. That's what stop saying. The power of the Holy Spirit filling the church and us developing Christ-like character. And if you hear in this, we call this book club we do Form and Fire, okay? The form part is the Christ-like character part. The fire part is the Holy Spirit part. That's why we call it that. Because we need both. And I suspect that as much as we're crying out for the power of God, which we need to, we need to be open to and repenting of our lack of Christ-like character and spending the time with Jesus to develop it. Because, guys, here's the thing. If that happened instantly, the apostles wouldn't have struggled like they did. You see? It takes time to develop Christ-likeness. Peter denies Jesus all these times. Finally, church tradition, by the end of it, he does get crucified the same way Jesus did. And Jesus tells him that's going to happen in kind of a coded way. But it takes a while to get there. On the night Jesus was crucified, he wasn't ready yet. He didn't have the character part. He can't believe in him anymore. I mean, gosh, he's been there the whole time, you know? So we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be crying out for that. And we also need Christ-like character. And if, as I'm talking about, Father, forgive them, you know not what they do, something pops into your mind, that's what you need to be dealing with. You don't need to tell me. You don't have to tell anybody. But you need to talk about it with God. Because otherwise... It'll block things. Like when I was praying with God and he was telling me that, I was like, oh, crap. You know, like, <laughs> I thought I was, you know, <laughs> I thought I had hidden that well enough or something like that. But God knows, you know. But here's the story with this whole thing. This is at the beginning of the book of Acts. This is not the end of the story. It is the first person who dies for this. But it says the people that were stoning Stephen were throwing off their coats and stuff to get into the action or whatever. And the guy standing there keeping an eye on everything and approving of what's going on is a man named Saul who becomes Paul and who mostly this book that we're reading is about. We just haven't gotten there yet. So you never know who's watching. You see? You might just be at Walmart. But if you do the, the idiot's direction and act on that, like our culture is, t- like right now, man, I think you do that and you're almost celebrated as that's righteous anger when it's not like at all, okay? So let's just delete that category. Like pretty much everything that people use to say is righteous anger, just pretty much make all of that, like none of that is righteous, you know? And... So you could even celebrate, like, I went to Walmart, and this jerk did this thing to me, and I da ba da ba da ba And people are like, yeah, man, that's so right. I'm so glad that you, you know, it's like, what a, that's the effing idiots part, okay? We have to leave that. We have to leave that. And I'm saying it over and over again because it's important. We have to leave that. 
repent from that and turn and we have to have from our hearts father forgive them they know not what they do i love them more than all of this kind of thing it stands as a i mean if you have the power of god and the love like that nothing can stop anything that we're doing okay kayla's gonna sing a song we have people on our prayer team that will pray for you you need to come get prayer guys this is the thing that we need to start doing more of. Y'all come, come on up. Praying for each other is an important part of Christianity. It talks about laying on of hands for service and things, laying on hands for healing, and also just people that can say amen. If you're saying, I need more of the power of God, I want you to come down and people can pray for you. It's not them. It's God. But God does fill through this kind of interaction, and it's important. And it's, it is physical, and it does involve interaction. And if you need to repent, like me, <laughs> come down here and repent. Don't just sit in your chair. Here's the newsflash, guys. Nobody cares. And if you do care, you're on. You, you need. You get that, Dan. You you understand. So, Father, I pray that you would come rest on us. Give us willing and repenting hearts to lay before you the truth of who we are because you already know we're really only fooling ourselves and let your spirit flow mightily in this place that we might move in your power see healing physical healing spiritual healing emotional healing by the power of your spirit but also that we would be people of your character. That when people would look at us, they would go, they're like Jesus. And Father, forgive us for where we're not. Forgive us, Father, where we're not. So come forward and spend some time with God. And let Kayla sing this song over you. And you need to move. You need to move. Don't just let somebody else go pray and go, okay, that's fine. But you need to move. And some of us need to make some changes in our lives. We need to be spending the time with God that we need to spend. And we also need to stop doing some of these other things. Holy Spirit, move in this place. In Jesus' name. Yeah.